The last two weeks we were in the book of Ephesians. We're doing a series here on the home, home improvement, spiritual tools to be able to help build a godly family. And we want to give some encouragement right now. We've been talking a lot about marriage, and um, there are principles, that would, again, that we'll be sharing here today that will apply to any relationship, but very specifically, we're touching on marriage here. So I want to begin reading Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 8. The Bible says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in signalness of heart, fearing God. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. Today we're going to take up this part three of this portion of our general series, Ten Laws That Ought to Govern Every Marriage. And so let's go ahead and pray together, ask the Lord's blessing. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to share the Word of God. I pray that you would speak to us, help us to be still before Thee, not focus on that which may take place this afternoon, but I ask, Lord, that we would just listen to Your Holy Spirit as He speaks to our heart, and may we be obedient and yield to those things that You'd have us to. Thank you again, in Jesus' name, amen. It's actually been quite amazing how our morning series and our evening series have really dovetailed together. In the evening, I've been going through a series called In the Beginning. We've been walking through Genesis 1 through 11. The last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about the home and how God brought Adam and Eve together. And we saw something interesting. In fact, I pointed this out last Sunday. There's a verse at the end of chapter number 2 of the book of Genesis which says these words, And they, that's Adam and Eve, were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, truthfully, as I look at that passage of Scripture, I see something that is so powerful because that purity, that innocency, that complete acceptance that Adam and Eve 
had for one another ended up being lost in the next chapter because of sin. These two individuals were created by God and they were brought to one another and they were to become one flesh. Oh sure, every couple has different personalities. They're created with various differences in their lives. But God has brought couples together to become one flesh. And this coming together as one is very important if a marriage is to survive. When I think of acceptance and coming together as one, I cannot help but think of the warnings and instructions that are given in the passage of Scripture that we read. This passage truly can be applied to every person and every relationship that you may have, but it is especially relevant to marriages and families since it clearly brings up about the husbands, the wives, the fathers, and so on and so forth. The last two weeks, I had opportunity to share with you five laws that ought to govern your marriage. We talked about that you need to decide to be right with God. You need to decide, number two, to function within your God-given role. You need to decide that we is greater than me. You need to decide that spiritual intimacy must take place. You must decide, fifthly, to safeguard your marriage. So those are five of them. And now we're going to look at the remaining five. And so let's jump in and, again, understand that one of the underlying truths of what I'm going to share today is that there must be unconditional acceptance of one another in order for you to respond to these laws. First law I want to give to you. Now, don't laugh when I say this, but decide to fight fair. You say, preacher, we're saved. We we shouldn't fight. Well, let me just tell you, every person disagrees. Every person comes to where they have arguments about something. And in the first few verses that we read from verses 8 to 12, is it not interesting that he talks to the Christian in a general sense about the characteristics that you ought to put on and the characteristics that you ought to put off. You ought to put off all the things that are going to be destructive in your relationship, that are going to keep the fights going, that are going to bring destruction to that relationship, and you ought to put on all the things that would help enhance that relationship. When I think about couples and arguments and fighting, I love the statement that somebody said one time. They said, marriages are made in heaven, but so are thunder and lightning. There was a husband and wife that were involved in a petty argument, and there were both of them unwilling to admit either one was in error. The wife finally told her husband in a very conciliatory attempt, she said, I'll admit that I'm wrong if you'll admit that I'm right. He agreed, and like a gentleman, he said, you go first. She said, I'm wrong. He looked at her with a little twinkle in his eye, and he said, you're right, you're right. (laughs) Truthfully, admitting that we're wrong in our relationships is extremely difficult because conflicts are sure to arise in your relationships. Arguments and problems sometimes are commonplace in marriage, and sadly, there are Because of all of this, there's one-liners and jokes that just abound. 
The most effective way to remember your wife's birthday is to forget it one time. Somebody said, I am in total control, but don't tell my wife. Man once said, I married my wife for her looks, just not the one she's been giving me lately. Well, truly, there's two problems that we have when we come into marriage and we face conflict. First problem is this, is that many of us are caught off guard when that first big blow-up happens. You see, you have to understand something. It's not that your marriage, your relationship is going to be a struggle-free zone. The issue is, what will I do when it comes? How will I handle these conflicts? The second problem that comes in dealing with these things is that we have believed the typical stereotypes in our society concerning our spouse instead of biblically dealing with the conflict as we ought to. How amazing what women think of their husbands. They think that men never deal with the problems adequately. One woman put it this way, well, here's what love means for a man. He never says he's sorry except when it's your fault or when it's the fault uh, that he might say it is, but he's too immature to admit it, or when it's the children's fault, but he's holding you responsible. Sadly, that's the way many have just viewed their husbands instead of coming with a biblical style of dealing with the conflict instead of just putting blame on. Here's what men typically believe. Well, she's always on my case. She's always after me because she thinks I'm always in the wrong. I like the way somebody cutely put it. They summarized this thought this way. They said, God created the earth and rested. Then God created man and rested. Then God created woman. Since then, neither God nor man has rested. That was Bob Lawrence's joke in there. I just put that in, just in case you're upset at me. That was Brother Lawrence, all right? Now, how do I handle conflict? How is it that I ought to treat the problems that arise in my marriage? Well, first of all, I want you to notice here, you must find a way to approach conflict. Here's tips for handling conflict. Ready? Tips for handling conflict. Find a way to approach conflict. You and I, if we're going to deal with it, we need to think biblically. But we also need to think biblically and think ahead. I love a verse in Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 3. The Bible says that a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. In other words, a man that has gained the wisdom of God, that has gained the wisdom of the Word of God, realizes that this could be a problem. We have argued about this in the past. This has been an issue that we've gone through, and therefore he thinks through ahead of time how we are to biblically deal with it. If you can find a way to deal with conflict, you'll feel better about your relationship, have confidence in it, and actually enjoy the process of making up. But if you can't find a way to address the problem, you're going to feel worse about your relationship. You'll avoid serious conversations. Your arguments will not lead to making up, and you'll eventually become critical of one another. Now, I want to tell you something else about tips of handling conflict, and that is this that you must have rules of engagement when you handle the conflicts. Rules of engagement. In other words, here's one rule of engagement. Ready? Take the word divorce out of your dictionary. 
Whenever I do premarital counseling with young couples who are getting ready to get married, I always tell them, go back to your house, find a dictionary if you have one, go to the D section, find divorce, and rip that page out of the dictionary. How amazing it is when couples get into arguments, the last resort they all of a sudden come to is, well, if you don't change, I'm going to divorce you. Why do we want to throw that out? You ought to take that out of your dictionary. That's a rule of engaging in conflict. Number two, never resort to hitting. Sadly, there's been numbers of wives, even in Christian circles, whose husbands and even some wives have resorted to violence in their marriage. I'm telling you, that is flat out wrong. Every man ought to keep his hand off his wife except for comfort and love and tenderness. Never hitting. Number three, if you begin to get angry, step aside so you can cool down. It's a good rule of engagement. Number four, I like this one. Pray at the beginning and end of an argument holding hands. They say, preacher, that sounds stupid. Let me just tell you something. If your spouse started saying to you, you know, you're a no good, and you come over and say, honey, hold my hands for just a minute. Let's pray about those words you were just ready to call me. I'm telling you, it would change the whole scenario of the argument. Praying about it. Number five, do not say words you would regret if your spouse was suddenly gone. On a couple of occasions, I've heard about this. I've had spouses who said to me, you know, some of the last words I spoke were not good words. Sad, very sad. But when it comes to words, I think you ought to memorize these verses to help you communicate properly. Colossians 4, 6, notice this. Let your speech be always with grace. Everything you ought to say ought to be helpful. Everything you say ought to be beneficial for the other one, not words that are tearing down. Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Let me tell you, those words and those titles you want to throw out to your spouse and you think that you're, by name calling, you're doing a good job in your argument, you ought to take those things out. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And then this verse I love, Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So the first law that you ought to have to govern your marriage as we're talking today is decide that you're going to fight fair. Number two law, decide to accept both the assets and the liabilities. I want you to look at your spouse for just a moment. Just go ahead. If you're married, just look at your spouse for just a moment. Then look back up here. And just realize, think with me for just a moment. She or he was definitely created different than you were. And it's amazing how opposites attract. Now, truthfully, when opposites come together, we seem to be so blind to all the differences until after we're married. And then we're like, who is that person? Where did she come from? You know, my wife and I are totally different. We really are in, 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 in so many different ways. But truthfully, a lot of us were blind and it really helped us in our dating because until we, then we got married and then I thought, well, wait a minute, what happened here? Her and I were raised so differently. 
I was raised more in the city. She was raised uh, more kind of uh, a little bit more in the country. She had cows and dogs and everything else, and I just wasn't accustomed to all that. Her dad did well as far as a business, and they lived comfortably. She had her school bill paid for. I had to work for everything to pay for my school bill. We came at it from different perspectives. Uh, My wife, this is not a a slam against her, she's not as super organized, and I'm very organized, and that that was something that we had to really work out. My wife has a way of sometimes not putting things back together just right. I remember when we first got married, we only had one sink in our bathroom. Praise God, we have two sinks now. I'm glad. But we had one tube of toothpaste, and my wife had the uncanny ability of putting that cap back on and twisting it where it just held on. But when I picked it up, the cap fell off, and it drove me nuts. So you know what I started doing? I started tightening that baby down. I said, I'll fix this. I'll make sure that she puts the cap back on just right. Now, I could go on and on about differences that we have, but I want to put this up on the screen. I want you to notice this. It is important to acknowledge the fact that we are opposite. Differences are healthy, but I know they can be frustrating. And the biggest frustration is when we begin thinking in terms of right and wrong. In other words, what we usually mean by this is, I'm right in this area, you're wrong. Many couples have literal tolerance with each other, little understanding for the differences. They want the other spouse to think and act like they do. And they're astonished, really. And I remember the first few years, I was astonished. I'm like, I can't even believe you do this. I can't even believe you're like this. And she probably thought the same thing about me. But I think it's important to not think about this is the right way or this is the best way. It's like someone who speaks a particular language and says, well, you ought not to speak that language. You need to speak my language because this is the best language. This is the right language. No, no, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's not a matter of what's best. It's just the fact that it's different. I remember reading a number of years ago. In fact, I don't even remember where I got this. It was a particular book and he put out the differences. Now, I'm going to just put these on the screen. Notice some differences here that can be pointed out. There are extroverts and introverts. I bet you in most marriages here today, there are some that are very outgoing and there are some that are very, very shy. There are risk takers and analyzers. There are the big picture spouses, that is, they can think of a lot of different things in a general way, but then there are some that are just very detail-oriented. There are the planners and the flexors. You know, the planners, they want everything organized. They like schedules. They like deadlines. But the flexors, they just bend with the flow of life. They're more spontaneous. They're laid back about life. They see planners, hey, you're too rigid about this. You're over-controlling. While the planners often interpret the flexors, they think, well, you're lazy and irresponsible. But again, that's the way they're looking at each other. But opposites ought to attract and ought to come together and help one another. There are rushers and relaxers. The rushers in life are always busy. They're on the move. Speed and efficiency are their watchwords. Relaxers, they take their time. They stop to smell the roses. They might not do as much as the rusher, but I'll tell you what, they enjoy whatever it is that they do. 
There's thinkers and feelers. Thinkers focus on their heads, seeking the facts and principles. They base decisions on objective data, and everything else to them is irrelevant. The feelers focus on people and emotions. They base decisions on subjective information and show great concern about the impact on others. Now, in our culture today, and again, I'm I'm taking this from this particular source, 75% of men are thinkers and 75% of women are feelers. But please keep this in mind before you get offended right off the bat. Thinkers have feelings and feelers do think, all right? It's just that they process things differently. Always remember that these can be brought together and ought to be brought together. In a relationship, there are bridge builders and wall builders. Now, I love this one. In fact, I just, I'm going to wait for some little chuckle. In every relationship, there are collectors and there are tossers. I love to go into a house when I'm visiting and say, all right, who's the collector? Who's the one that loves just gathering stuff? And who's the one that on the other end is throwing it in the trash? But truly, we're all different. You say, preacher, how do we recognize and how do we accept those differences? How do we reconcile those things? Because you're right, we are totally opposite. Well, here's the reconciliation. First of all, love and accept your spouse right where they are. Love and accept them while they are. While you might emphasize your good quality and become frustrated with their bad quality, you have to realize something. You also have weaknesses and liabilities where your spouse might be strong, and this helps your marriage. And your constant irritation and pinpointing of their weakness will only become detrimental to the relationship. The best bet is for you to accept what is and help compensate. In fact, I used a statement last week, always remember that you as a couple are here to complete one another, not compete against each other. And many times as opposites as they want to fight about it and they want to argue and they want to tear each other apart, But God has brought you together because, yes, you have strengths, but you also have weaknesses. And you have strengths and weaknesses. And when brought together, what a beautiful one flesh relationship where you help each other. Number two area here for realizing and reconciling the differences is learn to compromise. Now, I know in a good independent Baptist church, compromise is a dirty word. But I'm not talking about compromise as far as doctrine. I'm talking about compromising in this way, where each spouse settles any differences by mutual concession. Two people who have personal values, who have different beliefs and opinions and preferences, but they graciously decide to meet halfway. Number three area is this, emphasize the positive qualities and don't dwell on the negative. You know what the devil likes you to constantly do? Focus on the negative. Always enhance and talk about it. Well, you always do this, or you never do this, or and they focus on the negative. Let me just tell you something. You'll help yourself if you put that aside and ask God to help you to put it aside and to focus on the positive. 
and look at those good qualities. It's true for every area of life. Number three, law. Decide to fight fairs. Number one, decide to accept the assets and liabilities. Number three, decide to forgive one another. Now look at verse number 13. In fact, here in verse number 11, I didn't mention it here. He talks about whether it's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision. You know, in the Christian life, we would want to think, well, I'm of this race and I'm of this nation and I'm of this person. But you know, when people came together, it wasn't Jew, Gentile, uncircumcised, circumcised. It was God brought everybody together and they were one in Christ. And that's what you and I are. But now look at verse number 13 of chapter 3. Look at this. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So I've got a couple questions for you to think about this aspect of deciding to forgive one another. How do you and your spouse, or in a general term, if you're not married here today in a relationship, how do you handle offenses? How do you handle them? Question number two, how do you and your spouse deal with hurts and anger? And truthfully, the answer to these questions will determine how strong your relationship is. Now, there's a pattern that leads to contention in marriage. First of all, there's the offense. What type of problems do you face? Well, sometimes there's small things that we face. He didn't put the towel back up in the towel rack. He didn't put his clothes in the hamper. She didn't do this. She didn't do that. And there are small offenses that we let get in the way. But sometimes there can be major catastrophes like family issues, personality conflicts. How do we raise the children? On and on. And truthfully, how we handle those things is important. There are offenses that will come. But then after the offenses is the hurt you realize just like a physical wound will bring injury to a person's body, so will hurts, offenses, bring spiritual wounds to us and will affect our emotional side. Now, if the hurts dealt with quickly, the pain's minimized, the relationship's kept intact, but sometimes the offender is waiting for the other one to come and reconcile, or vice versa. Many times they don't want to appear vulnerable, and so there's this hurt, and then the next aspect is anger. But how do we respond to this? The response. Well, you can either ignore the offense. This is only allow the anger to seethe inside, or you can seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And I love the word forgive that is used here in verse 13 and throughout the New Testament. It has this idea of not bringing up anymore. It has the idea of letting go and restoring. Is this not what Christ did for us? Later on, go back to Colossians chapter 1 and note what Christ did for us. In verse 13 of chapter 1, He rescued us from sin. In verse 14, He purchased us out of the service to sin. He reconciled us to Himself and He causes us to stand, in Colossians 1.22, to stand without blame. No longer does Jesus bring up to us and say, well, don't forget now what you did before. No, the sad part is, is that many marriages 
constantly bring up things from the past. Well, remember when you did this. I'm holding this against you. This is one card I'm using against you. I'm going to tell you, every relationship will be helped if you forgive and you forgive biblically. You make sure that you let go and you don't bring it up again. You know, the hardest seven words in the English language are these. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Boy, it's hard to say those words. But those are some words that will really help you in your relationship. So, decide on these things. But now notice here, decide to endure trials together. Decide to endure trials together. We have Chris and Heather that are here today, and they know a couple that were part of Gospel Baptist for many, many years by the name of Keith and Neva Ott. Keith and Neva came to our church. Keith got right with God. Neva had gotten saved. They got married. They had their first child. And I don't remember how old little Kayleen was, but there were some things wrong, and no doctors could figure out what was going on. And finally, after a number of days, when that child was just not doing well in the hospital, they found out it was child diabetes. And they were able to go ahead and make the proper corrections and help her. And today, Kayleen is a beautiful young lady. She just recently finished law school. She has a little baby of her own and things are going well. But I'm telling you something. As I walked, my wife and I, with Keith and Neva, we were there at the hospital in the beginning. And every day we would go visit. And we walked through them in that process. And I'm telling you, when you begin dealing with something of your child It puts pressure on the relationship. And I watched how God helped them as they decided to endure these trials together. Now, I don't know what trials you may have in your relationship, your marriage. But I guarantee that every struggle that comes along, the devil is doing anything he can to cause that trial to do what he intends it to do, and that is to blow your marriage apart. What could it be that you might be facing? It might be chronic illness. It might be financial hardships. It might be a runaway child, or it might be a child with physical handicaps. It may be a job loss or extended unemployment. It might be the death of a child. It might be conflict within the extended family. It might be blending families together. But please note this statement on the screen here. It is not a matter if your marriage will face pressure. It is a matter of when. And what will you do when those pressures come? I was reading some time ago, President George W. Bush shared about how he and his wife, Laura, how they survived after the attacks of 9-11. Laura, his wife, had described the events as the biggest crisis of their marriage. They were in different parts of the country when the planes had hit the Pentagon and the World Trade Centers, and like everybody else, neither of them knew what was going to happen in the days to come. Laura recounts that day, she said this, and I quote, When he landed in Washington, I went back to the White House and we just hugged. The president later told friends that he feared that he might lose her that day. 
When they were asked what would hold their marriage together during the weeks and the months to follow that crisis, they both stated it was their faith and the friendship that they had and the decision to stick together no matter what. Can I say to you that if you want a strong marriage, when you face the tough times, you must follow biblical principles. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, talks about. How it talks about charity, that highest form of love that we ought to have in every relationship, but especially the marriage. The Bible says that charity, listen to this, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, and endureth all things. To endure the tough times, this verse seems to imply that there's going to be a total commitment. There's a total acceptance. There's a deep trust. There's an endurance to persevere together. Well, how can you and I weather these storms? Let me give you these. Connect and stay connected. Connect and stay connected. You know, sometimes we find ourselves not communicating at all in the good times, and then when something bad happens, all of a sudden we're nowhere near each other. We don't know how to communicate with each other. So I want to encourage you, if things are going well with you right now, learn to be connected. Learn to communicate. Because when the tough times come, you want to be connected. You want to communicate with each other. Number two, how do you weather these storms? Make your relationship a safe place. You know, I love... When I have the opportunity to go home. Now, I love everywhere I go. I love working here. I love ministering throughout this area. I love everything I do. But you know what? I love to go home. Because for me, that's my safe place. It's a place where my wife accepts me unconditionally. It's a place where I accept her unconditionally. Sadly, many couples here today and around our community, there are many couples where it's really not a safe place because they're... They make derogatory comments to each other. They call each other names. They put each other down. There's nothing safe about the relationship. And so when trials do come, guess what happens? All of a sudden, they fall apart. Number three, keep communicating. And number four, rest in the fact that God has a purpose for your trials. I want to skip to the next point, decide here, the last point. Decide to be passionate for one another. I like the way somebody put this, but don't know who said it. But the statement was made, the definition of kissing is a method of getting people so close together that they can't possibly see anything wrong with each other. I like that. You know, in every marriage there has to be passion. And I understand when we talk about passion, we talk about the physical aspect of the relationship and that it should be a very important, integral part of the relationship. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. I want to tell you something today. That if you're here today and you're not married and you're having physical relationships, you you ought to stop. You ought to stop right now and think about what you're doing to yourself and what you're doing to your relationship with God. 
Because it is imperative that you understand that within the context of marriage, God established the the sexual part, the physical part, within that context, but nowhere else should it be. And so therefore today, if you're single, you ought to be careful on those areas. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Now, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take your Bibles and go back to the book of Song of Solomon for just a moment. Now, you say, where is Song of Solomon? I've never heard of that book. It's in there. Right about the middle of the New Testament, go to the book of Psalms and then just move forward a little bit. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and then Song of Solomon. Now, I'm going to close with this. I'm, I'm, I'm just about done. And I want you to notice something here. Sometimes people read the book of Solomon and they wonder about the wording. I've had parents ask me, should I read this book to my children? Well, let me just tell you something. There are, if we could say, some graphic things that are shared. But again, it's all within the context of marriage. The book of Solomon is a very beautiful book because here's the picture of Solomon. It is a couple who find each other. And boy, are they in love at first sight. And they realize the attraction that they have, but they realize it's important. We better get married because, boy, we're, we're, we're super attracted. So they get married. They go on their honeymoon. They, uh, they have a fight. In fact, you read about that in the book of Solomon. They argue. They come back together, make up. But all through the book of Solomon is this graphic, great description about the joy and the beauty and the sacredness of marriage and that physical relationship. And I want to give you three things in the book of Solomon And I guarantee some of you are going to go, man, I'm going to read this this afternoon. I've never known this was in the Bible. Let me give you three things that are in the book of Solomon. First of all, the passion is reciprocal. You know, I can start reading chapter 1, and here's what's very interesting. These are the words of Solomon, and he begins describing that one that he sees, and he begins talking about her, has passion for her, but guess what? In her is welled up this passion for him. And all through the book of Song of Solomon, you know what you find? This passion for one another. It's mutual. They share it together. And again, within the context of marriage here. But secondly, I want you to notice, the compliments are affectionately given. Look with me, if you will, at chapter number 4. Song of Solomon chapter number 4. Look at this. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing, whereof everyone bear twins, and none is barren among them. Now you say to yourself, preacher, if I went home and told my wife, your hair is like a flock of goats, she'd sock me in the eye. I guarantee it. But you have to understand the picture that is given here. In this particular area, as a person would look out at the countryside, there was no more beautiful sight to him than to see sheep roaming on the hillside and say, wow, look at how beautiful that is. Now, I know that's not the way we describe it today. 
But whatever comes to your mind in regards to describing here your passion, the beauty that the other one has, the beautiful comments that can be made, you ought to do that and you find that in the book of Solomon. Third thing I want you to notice is the love is exclusive. It's exclusive. Many of you, when you got married, you made the vow that you were going to be with that one and no one else. How important that is. Solomon talks about how he, they battle it. They battle it before they get married, and they realize, we better get married before this, this heat gets a little too much. They get married. But then they have their argument, and before it's too late, they decide, we better get made up together before either one of us start looking around. And that love here is exclusive in the context of marriage. And I'm going to encourage you something. If you're going to keep that marriage strong and vibrant, you ought to decide to be passionate for one another. As I close here today, I had said something in the beginning of the message, and that is that one of the most important foundations of marriage is acceptance. Every one of these laws that I laid out here today really has something to do with that acceptance that you have of one another. I read a story about a Vietnam veteran by the name of Dave Reaver. It's described about this man. Dave was in the field fighting against the Viet Cong, and he had pulled a pin on a phosphorus grenade, but it malfunctioned and actually exploded in his hand. His hands and his face were covered with this burning phosphorus, and in order to gain relief, he immediately ran to a pool of water, only to find that that water began to spread the flames throughout his body. His face began to crack because of the intense heat. But Dave was a committed Christian, and his squad mates heard him yell, God, I still love you! His agony racked over his body. The medics were able to get to him and evacuate him. They took him to a hospital outside of the country. And for 14 months, he went through surgeries and all sorts of things. The first time that he saw himself in the mirror, he found that his face was so horribly disfigured. In the autobiography that he wrote, he tells about wondering what his wife would think of him when she first came to see him. The man that was in the bed next to him was a double amputee, and on the third visit from that double amputee's wife, he heard her say to him, I'm sorry, I married a man, not a cripple. I can't stay with you. A few days later, Dave woke up, and he's staring right there at his wife who had come to see him for the first time. She knelt down beside him and kissed him and said, Welcome home, Dave. I love you. And I'm glad you're here. You know what she was doing? She was giving her husband the gift that every marriage needs. The gift of unconditional acceptance. Instead of constantly fighting, grumbling, holding bitterness and hatred, and wonder if you're missing out on something better, Why don't you begin expressing gratitude for what you have? Why don't you begin looking at the assets 
the positives. Start finding ways to forgive. Start finding ways to make sure that we can make this marriage better. My desire through this message in this series really is to encourage you, especially today, to commit to what God has given you. 